0: Welcome to philosophers on medicine. Side effects include having your mind blown. I'm Jonathan Fuller. Delusions are often defined as fixed false beliefs. They run contrary to common sense or counter evidence that would convince any rational person. Like the idea that aliens are communicating with me through a radio chip implanted in my brain. Or the thought that my father has been replaced by an imposter albeit an imposter that is identical to my father in every discernible way. But why do people acquire delusions in the first place? Philosophy is often thought to be a rational activity of the highest order. Maybe philosophers can shed some light on what is going wrong with the reasoning of people who have delusions. Today's consultation is with philosopher Matthew Parrott, lecturer in philosophy at King's College London. Matthew Parrott, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. We're going to be talking today about delusions. So to start us off, what is a delusion?
1: Well, clinically, delusions get defined as beliefs that people have that are usually false, that uh, they form on the basis of no evidence or reason, and that seem to be kind of immune to counter-evidence. Where they are really is that people tend to have very strange beliefs or express having strange beliefs, and the things that they think don't seem to be sensitive to any kind of evidential considerations at all.
0: Some examples of particularly interesting, bizarre delusions are monothematic, which means they center around one particular theme. Hmm. Can you give us an example of a monothematic delusion?
1: Um, The one that's probably been studied the most is something called the Capgras delusion, which is a
0: delusion of
1: misidentification. So people who have this delusion will say that somebody in their life, usually somebody that's very close to them, like a relative, uh, isn't that person, but is an imposter, someone that is a kind of qualitatively identical imposter. So a person will come in and say, say, that's not my mother. I don't know where my mother is. That's somebody else while they're while they're looking at their mother.
0: What exactly has gone wrong for these poor people with the Capra delusion so that they have the delusion in the first place and then it persists despite (coughs) their family members and other people trying to convince them, no, this is really your loved one.
1: There probably are a few things that are going wrong, but one thing that looks like it is plausibly going wrong for these people is that they have kind of strange experiences of faces. So... Normally, when you look at the face of someone that you are close to, like your mother, you kind of have a part of your brain that visually recognizes the face um, and kind of re-identify the face. And then you also tend to have a kind of strong response in your autonomic nervous system. So you have a kind of feeling of familiarity. um, This is somebody that I know. And that's a way that we think that face recognition works in humans. What we think is going on in the Capra case is that there's some kind of damage to the person's autonomic nervous system so that they see a face that they recognize, but they don't have the feeling of familiarity that usually comes with it. So when they look at their mother, it looks like their mother, but it doesn't feel like their mother. And that's a kind of weird way of experiencing your mother's face. And the thought is is, is that that kind of strange experience is implicated in the delusion at some level. But even so, it's natural to think, well, there's got to be something else going wrong too because having an odd experience of your mother's face isn't a good enough reason to think that she's an imposter, that she's an alien or a robot or something.
0: And what what additionally do you think then is is going wrong with these people? I guess, first of all, why do we often think that it's not just the unusual experience that's taking place in these patients but also something wrong with their reasoning? I mean, couldn't it be that they're just responding quite reasonably to a situation that the rest of us won't ever really experience in our lives, and therefore, we really wouldn't know what we would think or do or say if we were in that experience?
1: Yeah. So... I think that the kind of thing you're proposing that people that have the Capgrat delusion are just responding in a kind of normal way to a very strange experience is uh, a view in the history of cognitive neuropsychology that's been pretty influential in lots of ways. And it's a thing that is plausible for a lot of different kinds of delusions. So a lot of people that are kind of psychotic or schizophrenic will develop delusions kind of directly as a result of having hallucinations. And there it looks right to think the reason they think what they think is because they're having these weird experiences that the rest of us just don't have. There's a little bit of a reason to be reluctant to think that that's all that's going on in the Capra case. So. First of all, there's experimental data where we have people that look like they lack this feeling of familiarity when they see faces, but aren't delusional. So it looks like the experience of a face that's strange in this way isn't sufficient to Mm -hmm. develop a delusion. That's a kind of evidence-based reason to think that it's not an adequate explanation. But another way is just, I think that you can see that there must be something else going on if you just kind of reflect on the case yourself and think about it. So when you have a strange experience of something, you you might kind of think to yourself, well, why am I having this experience? Why is, why is this weird thing going on? And you might come up with a bunch of different possible explanations as to why you're having this strange experience. Um, so in the case of the CapCrad case, you might have things that occur to you like Maybe something something's off with my mother. Maybe she's very ill, or maybe she she got a makeover, or she has a haircut, or um maybe something's off with me. Maybe I didn't get a lot of sleep last night, or um, you know, I had a stroke last week. Maybe something about the stroke is why it is that I'm having these strange experiences of faces. And these are all things that might naturally occur to somebody as possible reasons or explanations for what is going on. And Nowhere in that list is the thought that um, maybe what's going on is that my mother is an imposter, someone who's kind of taken her place. Um, that's just not the, that's not the kind of reasoning that would go on in an ordinary case. I mean, that's, that's the thought. Um, and so if that's right, then in addition to having these strange experiences, it looks like people that have this Capra delusion are also responding to the experience in a kind of
0: unusual way. How have philosophers generally understood the failed reasoning in patients with delusions like cabra.
1: There are a lot of different proposals as to how it is that their reasoning is impaired, or at least not ordinary reasoning. I mean, I'll just give you a flavor of the kinds of proposals. So some, some people say that what's going on in these cases is that they have a very strong bias towards explaining an immediate experience. And so, normally, when people are confronted with new experiences or new evidence, there's a kind of trade-off between explaining the new thing and holding on to the stuff you already believe. Um, and you have to kind of strike a balance between these things. And the thought is, with the CapGraw people, they don't care about the stuff they already believe. Um, they just want to be a- adequate to the new experience they're having. and so. This is a kind of biases that's supposed to manifest in delusional thinking and delusional belief. Um, a different kind of proposal is that they're kind of evaluating probabilities in the wrong way. So they think that it's much more likely that their mother's an imposter than ordinary people do. And so they, um, if you kind of go into the thing thinking that, then you get strange results. But there, there are numerous, numerous proposals, both in philosophy and in cognitive science generally, as to how reasoning is impaired.
0: You think that previous accounts of delusional rationality don't tell the whole story. Why is that?
1: So all of the accounts of delusion that we have are accounts that think of the delusion as a fixed mental state, something like a belief. And what it is that we want to explain is why it is that a person has this strange belief. One thing that I think is maybe inadequate about that is um, it doesn't look at the other sorts of cognitive stuff that's going on in the person. So it doesn't sort of, we're not thinking about how they're thinking about the world before they get this belief or ways that they might be thinking about um, what can explain what or something like that. So I think it's helpful to not just focus in on the one mental state, to sort of think about the way that they're cognizing and thinking about the world before they actually adopt this belief that their mother is an imposter, same. When you start to do that, I think you can see that there's something very strange about not only believing that your mother is an imposter, but thinking that this is a real possibility. This is something that could potentially explain the weird experience that I'm having right now. I think in kind of ordinary cases of cognition, there are certain hypotheses or certain potential explanations that we don't even consider, we don't even think about. No matter how strange of an experience we might be having or no matter how unusual the situation we might find ourselves in, we just don't consider things like, um, well, maybe everyone around me has really been replaced by an imposter or a duplicate or something. And there's something about thinking of that as a potential explanation, even before you really believe it, um, that I think is a bit odd and indicative of a kind of unusual pattern of cognition.
0: So in other words, you think that people with the Capgras delusion and other similar delusions perhaps are just entertaining too many hypotheses that might be implausible to begin with.
1: That's exactly right. So if you, if you look at the basic structure of the explanation that we're, that we have in cognitive science, it's something like this: the, the person has a very strange experience of their mother's face. Um, it looks like the her, your mother, but it's it's not. And you adopt the delusion to explain that experience. And before you can adopt the delusion, you ha- you have this kind of set of potential explanations that you're thinking about or that you're considering. Um, and then you you choose the delusional one. And part of what I think is odd about delusions is that the delusional thought that my mother is an imposter figures into that consideration, that set of things that you're thinking of that might explain your unusual experience. So rather than just thinking like maybe I had a stroke or maybe something's off with my mother today and nothing else. People with delusions throw in this hypothesis about imposters. And there's something I think that's delusional about that, just thinking that it's a real life candidate explanation.
0: You use the term epistemically impossible to describe these hypotheses that most of us wouldn't even consider, but that uh, people with the Capra delusion do consider and then eventually subscribe to. Uh, What do you mean by that term epistemically impossible?
1: That's just a fancy way that philosophers try to flag things that are consistent with or inconsistent with what you know. Um, And the reason this is important is because um, when we're looking for potential explanations of something, we look to things that are consistent with what we know. Things that are inconsistent with what I know, I don't think of as even possible explanations. So the thought is, is for someone who's not delusional, it's not possible that people are imposters. right? That's kind of inconsistent with certain things that we know. Um, And so we don't think about that as a real candidate explanation.
0: I'm wondering if on your count, the Capra subject's belief that their loved one is an imposter, um, because it's judged to be impossible with respect to their community, doesn't that make delusional thinking in general a matter of mere disagreement between the person with the delusion and their community? And in particular, I'm wondering if your account might label more revolutionary thinkers like Galileo as delusional simply because they believed or he believed that the earth revolved around the sun when all of his communities, his uh, peers, his contemporaries knew that the sun revolved around the earth.
1: Yeah, so I think that this is an important question because it kind of highlights a couple of things. So one thing that it highlights is one thing that matters is kind of thinking carefully about who counts as a member of your community of peers or your epistemic community or something along those lines. So it would be strange if we were sitting here with someone who had a Capgras delusion and when they're with us, they're delusional because the things they think are not consistent with what we know. But if we moved them to some kind of asylum somewhere on a hilltop with a bunch of Capgras patients, they wouldn't be delusional anymore because now they're in this other community. So that that feels a little bit strange. That is similar to the question you raised about Galileo. So, what happens when there's someone who's in a, our community who just starts thinking that things are possible that are incompatible with the things that that we know? Um, do they count as delusional? And the thing that I think that can help here is this idea that we are still sort of thinking about possibilities that are consistent with, or inconsistent with knowledge. And so, one sort of check on the things we think are possible is the people in our community. But another sort of check is the world. And if it's the case that, say, our community thinks that rocks talk to us, and there's someone in our community who thinks otherwise, they might look delusional to us the reason to think they're not is that our conception of what's possible or not is something that can be revised. So what should be the case is when you have someone like Galileo in the community and they point out something that we're wrong about, assuming we're not ourselves delusional, we'll change our mind. Not maybe immediately, but over time we'll kind of change our mind. And and in that and that'll be a kind of shift in the way that we think. Um, if we don't change our mind, then I think we do start to look delusional. So one of the things that looks like it's characteristic of delusion is this kind of persistence of your thinking in the face of considerations that should lead you to think otherwise. But the fact that the world can sort of correct us when we're wrong about something, even when a lot of us are wrong about something, allows us to kind of rule out these Galileo cases.
0: Is what counts as a delusion historically and culturally relative, or because we're responsible for answering to the world in some sense with our beliefs, does that make delusions actually a case of, objectively speaking, irrational reasoning that's not culturally, historically relative?
1: Yes, I I think probably that latter thing is true because of the fact that you are answerable to the world in this in this way. It is, it is the case that what different cultures and communities think of as delusional is going to vary based on how, how they're thinking about the world. But operating on the assumption that rational cognitive processes where we're forming beliefs about the world around us are things that are sensitive to evidence and reasons and things like that, the communities that have really mistaken conceptions of the world over time are going to change the way they think. And the ones that don't Start to look more like their delusion.
0: Can you perhaps apply your account to other delusions?
1: I think that it can be reasonably extended to any kind of delusion that we think is grounded in experience in some way. So, any delusion where it looks like the general picture of what's going on is the individual has a very weird experience of something, whether that's an experience of their own arm or an experience of their mother's face. Or even in something like thought insertion, you could think like an experience of your own conscious thoughts can be kind of strange. And then they develop a delusional belief as a way of kind of accounting for or explaining the occurrence of this weird experience. The kind of proposal that I wanna put forward looks like it can be kind of applied to all those kinds of cases. Because what you basically have is um, a person who's thinking already maybe that all kinds of strange things are possible in the world. Um, Like maybe, you know, maybe it's possible that people are imposters or that people have radio transmitters put in their head or that people can have arms that don't belong to them. Whereas the non delusional person would sort of just rule it out
0: immediately. Would it be a bit surprising though if these different kinds of delusional states all had in common this feature, um, that there's something wrong with the delusional person's reasoning, namely that they entertain implausible hypotheses when some of the delusional states seem to result from different pathologies. So stroke might cause a delusion in some patients, Mm. in patients with schizophrenia, the etiology, the pathophysiology is seemingly a bit different. Um, Would that be surprising or not, given what we understand about the brain?
1: Maybe yes and no. So there's certain kinds of delusions that you see in psychiatric cases, um, things like schizophrenia, where the pattern of the delusion looks very different than these kinds of monothematic cases. And there, I I don't know if you can give the same sort of account. But even cases where the ideology is slightly different, these, these kinds of monothematic cases where a person just has a delusion about a particular thing and it looks like it could be tied to a kind of experience of some sort. All that, um, those cases look similar in certain ways. Um, and when you're thinking about how, well, maybe there's an experiential impairment and then a kind of impairment with reasoning or impairment with thinking, that last bit, the impairment in reasoning or thinking, that's a very kind of, that's an area of the brain that we don't understand very well. Uh, So, I mean, it wouldn't be surprising if belief formation and belief fixation was something that was kind of distributed across the whole brain or involved a lot of component parts that we don't don't really know how it works at a kind of physiological level.
0: On that thought, I'm wondering if thinking about the philosophy of delusions might in any way advance medical research or even perhaps clinical medicine.
1: Yeah, I mean, it seems like it has potential to, certainly. I mean, one thing that is good about philosophy, maybe particularly philosophy when you think about psychiatric problems, is that philosophers are kind of notorious for obsessively thinking very, very slowly about particular things. And at first glance, you might think, well, that's not going to help with medicine, because in medicine, we need to sort of like Progress with our research, and we don't need these philosophers slowing us down with their thinking. But one thing that philosophy can do is kind of just open up new areas of inquiry for you to think, well, maybe this is what's going on, maybe that's what's going on. So, just to take a very general point, is um, I mean, psych- psychologists and neuropsychologists and psychiatrists in general, we don't have as a kind of intellectual community a very good understanding of how people form beliefs about the world. And Thinking about delusions, you have a sense, well, there's something about belief formation that's going wrong in these cases. And if we can find out what it is, maybe we can intervene on that and help these people out, which is one of the things that we want to do in medicine. But in order to do that, we have to have a more developed and clearer picture of where it is that belief formation can go wrong and where it is that it can go right. Um, and we don't have that kind of model yet. So to the extent that I think philosophy can help us develop that kind of model then it will be something that can be useful in medicine.
0: Well, unless I'm delusional, this has been very interesting. Thanks very much. To hear more Philosophers on Medicine, visit www.philosophersonmedicine.com or find us on iTunes or Google Play.